And there are many different types of pastors. Uh, and you can't, there, there's, God uses our personalities. And there are some pastors that, 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 that their strength and their gifting is, is pastoral care and ministering to people's needs. And, and Jesus was all of these. And there are some that are, that are focused on leading people somewhere. And that's more the, the, the calling that's on my life. I felt when it was last December, it was 10 years that I moved, stepped into this role as the senior pastor here. And I've always felt that I had a call on my life to lead this church somewhere, to be, at least begin to lead us in a direction. And this is the year for that, I sense. This is the year that we're going to all head together in a direction. And so as I've been praying over where, how to do, I really have a sense of where to go with this. I really felt in the, for this beginning of the year, uh, uh, the Lord brought me back to one of the scriptures that has been very important to me. And this is a time of year where the beginning of a brand new year, 2019. And it's a time for people to reflect back. Many of you ended 2018 saying, am I glad that one's over? And some of you, I had someone share with me, what a great year, it was a wonderful year. And so as you look back on 2018, you have memories of wonderful things that happened perhaps, and maybe it has been a very difficult, challenging year, and you're so glad it's over. But it's over. It's over. Whether 2018 was the best year of your life, or the worst year of your life, or somewhere in between, it's over. We turn the calendar, we put a new calendar up on the door, it's over. And as I was meditating on that, a scripture began to come to me. And so we're going to begin a series this morning. I don't believe it's going to be a long series. And it's, it, I'm going to read through Philippians. And it's, it's, it's the upward call of God. God's calling us. God's calling us individually and God's calling us as a church. He's calling us to go somewhere together this year. And it's an upward call. But in order to respond to that, if we're called, there's certain things that have to be established and in place. So with that, by way of background, we're going to pick up, once I turn there, to Philippians chapter 3. There, there, are, there are several sections of Scripture that I have been praying for a number of years. Ephesians 3 is one of them, and Philippians 3 uh, is one of them. Yeah, bless you. And again, Philippians, God's eternal power company, Philippians chapter 3. All right. The church of Philippi was a Greek, they were Greeks, um, one of the first churches that Paul founded in Greece. And, uh, and Paul is writing to them his heart in this chapter. Uh, they were dealing with, as a lot of the churches that Paul writes to, they were dealing with people that were trying to draw them back into legalistic religion. In some cases, some, some of the writings Paul does is to Jews that are being, trying to be brought back into it. But much of Paul's writing deals with this issue. Galatians, Philippians, parts of, not much of Ephesians, um, and, and others deal with this issue. And it's an issue we deal with today. Because many, many of us came out of religious churches. Many of you came out of a tradition that, that was extremely religious, where you had certain rituals you had to go through, and whether you understood them or not, you were a good Christian if you did the ritual, and you were a bad Christian if you didn't do the ritual, regardless of what the ritual meant. And, but, but those of us that were, not in, that, that were raised Protestant, uh, we still have the same kind of rituals. And we have rituals here today, because we're ritualistic. As human beings, we're, we're people of habit. And habit's not a bad thing, because habit can give you stability in your life, provided that the habit's a good habit, and provided that the habit doesn't limit what God wants to do in your life. And so, so Paul's addressing a lot of these issues. But here in this chapter, Paul begins to address his heart comes out. This is Paul opening his heart. And we're going to pick up in Philippians 3. I'm going to read right down through it, and we're going to go back. Uh, and today we're going to focus on one particular verse. We'll touch several of them. Uh, verse 3. For we are of the circumcision who worship God in spirit and in spirit and re worship and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have more confidence in the flesh, I more so. 
circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. Now what he's doing here, he's, 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 the, the, the call has been to try to draw the Jewish believers back into circumcision or requiring the, 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 the Greek believers to be circumcised. Because one of the, the, found, the beginning issues, crossroads, in the, in the early days of the church was whether Christianity was a brand new, quote-unquote, religion or whether it was just an adjustment made within Judaism. And the crux of that was whether to be a Christian you had to be circumcised. And the reason for that issue was because the, the mark of the covenant that God entered into with Abraham was that every male had to be circumcised on the eighth day of his life. We talked about that during Advent right before Christmas because Jesus came, his parents brought him, to be circumcised, to obey. That was, the, that was his sign that he was coming under the Abrahamic covenant. And so now the question is, do, we, do, the, do Jews have to continue to do that? Or, and do, do Greek believers or non-Jewish believers that become Christians, do they have to be circumcised? And the significance, aside from the physical act, was does this mean this Christianity is still a, is a part of Judaism? Or is this something new? Or is this, an, is this somehow an adjustment to it? And that's the issue. So when you see the reference, for we are of the circumcision who worship God in spirit, back in verse 3, what he's saying is true circumcision here is not what's done to your body, but what comes out of your spirit. It's a spiritual circumcision. And Paul talks about that in other places we're not, not going to get into. And now he, then he says in verse 3, and have no confidence in the flesh. So the root decision here is we're, our confidence is not that we are part of an Abrahamic covenant through circumcision, but our confidence in what God has done in our spirit man, and not just that, but now we put no confidence in the flesh. Because religion is based, true religion, not Christianity, because Christianity is not religion, it's a relationship. But religious things is all based on confidence in what you do. That's when he talks about confidence in the flesh, he's talking about confidence in what you do. So, here's a good example. If you wake up tomorrow morning and you remember that you fell asleep in church and you missed what God was saying and you got mad at your spouse and you didn't read your Bible today, and you wake up tomorrow and you're trying to pray and get close to God, and it feels like there's a wall there, that wall's not on God's side. That wall's on your side because you're thinking, I don't have confidence before God today because I wasn't good yesterday. The other side of that is you wake up Tuesday morning because you read your Bible Monday morning. You prayed for an hour on your knees on Monday morning. You were sweet to your spouse. And then you wake up Tuesday morning and say, wow, God's presence is here. But your confidence isn't in Him. It's in how you were the day before. God really drove that home to me one time. It was years ago. It was a Wednesday night and I'm in here saying, God... I, I, I don't deserve to be in this pulpit tonight. Today, I, you know, I didn't think about you all day. I didn't study today. And God spoke to me so clearly. He says, when did you ever think you were... It's like, oh. And this is what Paul's talking about. So he says, we're going to go down now to verse 4. For though I also might have confidence in the flesh... If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So Paul's not going. Paul's not going to now going to give us his resume as a Christian. His resume as a believer, as a Christian, he's going to tell us what his confidence has been in and how good it was. He's 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 bragging, but he's doing it. He, he's doing it with tongue in cheek. Verse five: Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, I was a pure-born Hebrew. I wasn't a proselyte that became a Hebrew. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. That's, I mean, I was one of the religious elite. Concerning zeal or passion, persecuting the church, I actively went out to... See, Paul's motive for the persecution he put the church through not was because he was mad at Christians, because he thought it was a heresy. He thought it was, it was, it was profaning the, 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 the covenant that God had with the people of Israel. And so Paul's zeal was to destroy it. Paul's referring to it. So I have a zeal towards God. And elsewhere Paul says that Jews have a zeal towards God, but without knowledge. 
concerning the righteousness which is the law of blameless. But what things were gained to me, I counted as loss for Christ. We'll come back and talk about that later. Yet indeed I count all things for loss, for the excellence of the knowledge. And that what actually says, for the surpassing value. Some translations take it that way. But the word excellent means there to go beyond, to press beyond. For the so surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So what Paul's saying, all these things that were gained to me, all these things that I did that I put my confidence in, I count as nothing because there's something of infinitely greater value than those things I put my confidence in. And it is the knowledge, it is knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss, suffered the loss of all things, that I count them as rubbish, that word is actually stronger than there. It's refuge or dung. I won't go there. That I may gain Christ. I count them as that. And this is why. That I may be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which was what those things were, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And what's this all about? that I may know Him, this is the upward call, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, that doesn't sound exciting, that I may be being conformed to His death. We'll talk about that down the road. Verse 11, If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now here's what we're going to get into. Not that I've already attained it or I'm already perfected. That's encouraging to me. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself have apprehended it or got, having arrived. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, or think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree of you attain it, let us walk by that same rule. Now, let's go back to verse 14. So what Paul is saying here, there's a whole lot in this section, which we'll get into some of it. Paul is giving his background, and he's saying that, 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 that here, you know, don't put your confidence in your flesh, in other words, in, in what you present before God. But our confidence is in Christ alone and what Christ has done for us. But Paul says, but here's the things I could have put my confidence in. And he lists his resume of the how and they all were reflection on him. On his on his on his origin, on his ethnic origin. He said, I was, a, I'm a, I was born a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the special tribes. I was a Pharisee. In other words, I was, I was of the elite in their religious commitment. This is all talking about, first of all, his, his pedigree, what he was born into. And we'll talk about this a little later on. Many of us have our confidence in our heritage. Either our positive confidence in our heritage, whoo, or a negative confidence. In our, but it's in our heritage. Our heritage. Paul's also saying, Paul's saying, my confidence was in my heart's passion and intention to serve God. My confidence was in my intention to serve God. Peter was like that. Peter was full of zeal. The Apostle Peter. He was the one that got out of the boat and says, you know, Lord, if that's you, I want to go out in the boat. Peter was the one that, 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 that spoke out and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Bold. Of course, a few verses later, he tells Jesus not to go to Jerusalem and be crucified, and Satan was speaking through him. Peter's confidence was in his commitment to the Lord. And it came to a test. On the night when Jesus finally got through to them, I'm dying. I'm leaving you. I'm going to go and die. Peter says, Lord, wherever you go, even unto death, I'll go with you, even to death. And I believe Peter was sincere in what he said because he was confident in his commitment. And Jesus smiles at him and says, Peter, before the sun comes up, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter argued with him. 
Because his confidence was in himself. And he did deny him. And he did turn away from him. It's interesting. The Apostle John comments about himself, not as the Apostle who loved Jesus, but John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. John had a revelation of how much Jesus loved him. And John's confidence was in Jesus' love for him, not his love for Jesus. And isn't it interesting, when the crisis came, there was only one disciple at the foot of the cross. And it was not the disciple who thought he had the greatest commitment. It was the disciple who knew how much Jesus loved him. And Paul is saying, I have taken everything about myself that I have put my confidence in this my whole life. And I've counted as loss. I counted as rubbish. Now think about what rubbish is. Think about trash. Did you ever, ever lose something and, and you wonder, did it get in the trash? And there's only one way to find out. You've got to start pulling out the coffee grinds. You've got to pull out the banana peel. You've got to pull out all this stuff. And it's like, and you get all the way down. You've had to move it all around. And you get digging down in there. It's all over your hand. And the smells in your nose. And it's like, why didn't we take this out early? And he still wasn't in there. <laughs> and what do you want to do right away? You want to go to the sink and you want to wash it off. You want to get the smell out. And you want to use a soap that doesn't just clean it, but it's got a different fragrance to it. Molly's still learning. She's getting there. Those of you who have been for a while, Molly's a Christmas present I gave to my wife of a little multi-poo puppy. But she's a puppy. Molly turns... Twelve weeks today, okay? But Molly still makes mistakes, if you grasp my drift, on the rug. Sometimes it's by the door. Sometimes I don't know whether you're getting this at all or not. And we've got to clean it up. And we've got to go wash up after we clean up. And Paul is saying, all of my own righteousness, all of my own good works, once I realized Christ, it was like trash, garbage on my hands. I had to get it off. I can't have it around me. It's the symbolism there of our senses is so powerful because literally the world is, word is dung. The newer translations dress it up. He said, I've got to get it off. Why? And I, here's where we're going to get to. Here's why. I press on towards the call of the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. Verse 13. Well, let's go to verse 14. Right there. Now, what's Paul saying here? This is so powerful. Remember, God's calling us somewhere. Paul's saying, I press. Notice it's I. So it's a decision he makes. I press. The word press means it's not casual. When you press towards something, it's intentional. You know, you, you've decided, I want something, and I'm going to press towards that. He's pressing towards a goal. It's not his goal, but it's a goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So his goal that he's pressing towards is to answer a call. You don't initiate the call, God initiates the call, and then you answer it. It's like, 
Nowadays, when I first would teach on things like this years ago, it's like the phone would ring and you'd go answer the phone. Now everybody's phone goes off in a restaurant. It's like, whose is that? Everybody's looking around. Is it mine? Is everybody else? Somebody answer it. <laughs> I've had it. It won't happen today, but I've had it in here where somebody's phone goes off. It's like, answer it. <laughs> so when a call comes, you have a choice of whether you're going to answer it or not. You don't initiate the call. You choose how you're going to respond. And Paul's talking about he, there's a call that he received. There's a call that all of us receive. There are differences in the particulars, but there's a call that comes to all of us, and we have to choose whether we're going to answer that call. So God has to initiate the call. You don't call yourself. He has to call you, and then you answer that call. So it's not initiated by us, but it's by God. And it has to be heard. You're not going to answer something you don't, you don't hear. And, and we're going through this with Molly. <laughs> Molly's very good most of the time at answering her name. Come here, Molly. Come here, Molly. Come here, Molly. And she'll recognize her name. She learned to get that and would come running. Sometimes Molly doesn't come. And that's when I got to go looking for her because I don't know where she is or what she's doing. So she can get in trouble. See, when we don't answer the call, oh, this is good. God looks down and says, I wonder where they are. I wonder what they're up to. Because when Molly doesn't answer the call, it's because Molly doesn't want me to see what Molly's doing. When it's time to go out, Molly loves to go out and play. Molly goes, she wiggles, but when Molly's doing something she doesn't want me to know she's doing, because they know, Molly doesn't answer the call. But Molly hears. <laughs> so we have to hear, we have to answer the call. Now, God had called, but Paul's role was to press towards it. So we're going to look at this word press now. Press is not something like we casually, and this is where most Christians are we kind of casually are wandering in God's direction. Going, going along in our life, and now we've gone through the end of one year, and we've turned the page, the calendar page, or calendar, and we've turned into another year, and we just go along living our life, going to church, which is good, reading our Bible, good, doing go through our routines, and we're just kind of wandering along after the call. But that won't get you there. Because there are many distractions that come our way. Satan is masterful at bringing distractions across your path. Some very good ones, and some that are obviously from him. Because when we don't know what the prize is, what the goal is, we talked about this earlier this year, when you don't know where you're headed, you don't know whether you're distracted or not. When you don't know what the goal line is, when you don't know what your goal is, you can't tell whether you're on course or not because you don't have a course. You're just walking through life without a goal and without a purpose. And the goal is to answer the call that comes from God through Christ. So Paul was pressing. The word press implies, first of all, it's not casual. Secondly, it's purposeful. You know you're doing it. It's an act of your will. Paul said, I press. Not that God presses me. Not that I'm, I'm, I'm led to it. He pressed. He made a decision of his will. I'm going to answer this and press towards the call. It's focused. Paul knew what his call was. And before we're done, you'll know what yours is. And what motivated him? The goal for the prize of the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. So there's a prize that was his goal. I've read people say, well, you know, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be um, reward and punishment oriented. We should just serve God. The Bible's full of promises of rewards for serving Him. And so Paul was motivated by a prize. The prize of answering the call. The prize of finishing his course. And we'll talk about that a little more down the road. And this third thing about this, this is an upward call. God always calls us upward. God always calls us higher in Him, higher in our walk with Him, higher, calls us up 
to a higher calling. All right, that's kind of the foundation of this. Let's go back to verse 13. In order to press on upwards, there's something we have to do first. Brethren, I don't count myself of having apprehended, but one thing I do. So what he's saying is, this is what I know we've got to go to, but I haven't made it yet. But here's one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. So we cannot press towards the goal if you haven't let go of the past. I get this image of a, of a, of a sprinter for the 100-yard dash or the 100-meter dash, and he's, he's, he's in the starting blocks. And he's in those starting blocks, and he's waiting for the gun to go off. And you know, he looks at these blocks and says, you know, I like these blocks. These are really nice blocks. It's comfortable here. And then the gun goes off, and he wants to win the race, and he's running, but he keeps looking back at those blocks. You know, that was nice back there. It was peaceful. I like the anticipation. And he's, what's going to happen to him? He's going to lose the race, and he's going to get off course because he's not looking at where he's going. There's a great video somewhere I've seen, maybe it's a still picture, of, of somebody in a 100-yard dash leading the race, and he's better, just about ready to break the tape, and he decides to look and see where his competition is. And while he looks this way to see where his competition is, the guy on the left passes him. Because when you take your eyes, when you stop... See, those, those sprint runners, they're leaning... They have a spot that they pick. There's a spot that... And it's past the finish line. Because if there's spots the finish line, they'll slow down before they get to it. So they pick a spot that's on the other side of the finish line, and... All their focus is on that. They're pressing towards the mark so that they can win. And if they get distracted to the right or the left, they lose their focus and they lose some of their momentum just enough so that they don't win the race. Amazing image that Paul is using here for our lives. Because we wake up, so many Christians, we wake up and we're not purposeful. Oh, we may be purposeful in our job. Some of you may be wonderfully organized and have a five-year plan, a ten-year plan. You know, I was never good at those. But, but, but God has a plan for you and for this church. And it's answering that plan and answering that call. And then we're not going to know it unless we press, 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 press towards it. That tells me there's going to be opposition. Some days I'm pressing towards it is because I'm tired. I can't. I don't. I don't feel like doing this again. I'm tired. I don't feel very spiritual. But I do. Pastor Sam Smith had this great physical illustration. <laughs> Grab yourself by the nap of the neck and make yourself do it. The Christians years ago were very good at developing a disciplined Christian life. And we've just kind of lost that because we're in a generation that does what we feel like doing because we're controlled by how I feel. I don't feel like that. I don't feel comfortable. And we've got a generation growing up that's been instilled with that. But it's enough, most of us, that's where they got it from. (laughs) They got it from us. But if we're going to win this race, if we're going to respond and finish this call, we have to be willing to press towards it through opposition. But to do that... We've got to forget what lies behind. Forget what lies behind. What's behind us last year, last month, whatever, what can, will slow us down and hold us back. It'll limit us. If it was bad, the, the memory of it will keep you from being open to God doing new things in your life. If it was good, the memory of that can help you to be satisfied with where you are. If, you're, if last year was a wonderful year, rejoice in it. Thank God for it and let it go. If last year was the worst year of your life, thank God it's over. <laughs> and you made it. 
It's okay to look back on the past and learn lessons from them, but you can't hang on. And this is what God showed me yesterday. It's okay to look back on it and, re- and learn lessons from it. But once you grab the lesson, let go of the experience. Because your heart, this goes back to a principle of renewing the mind I teach. The more you think about something, the more, the more, you, the more of a hold it will have on you. The bigger it will become to you. The more you think about the past, the bigger the past will become and the smaller the future. I mean, this example is not new with me, but you know when they make cars, that win- the windshield's much bigger than the rearview mirror? Because the purpose of the rearview mirror is to re- see what was behind you or who's coming up on you, but the bigger, the bigger window is what's ahead of you because that's where you're headed. So to do this, we have to forget what lies behind? You cannot press on. You cannot press on. You can wander on. You can wander on down the road, ease on down the road. You can wander on down the road, holding on to the past. But you can't press towards the goal if you're holding on to the back. You can't press in two different directions. You cannot press on if you're looking back or holding on to the past. Notice, it's the one thing Paul did. One thing I do. That's significant. Paul is very purposeful, very disciplined in his thinking, in his writing. Paul says, this, to, to, to attain to this goal, and I haven't already got there yet, but to contain, attain to this goal, this one thing I do, I press on, forgetting what lies behind. So it begins by being willing to let go of whatever is behind you. We'll talk in a few minutes about what they may be. Forgetting, and then he says, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Notice in Paul's mind, that's one thing. Letting go and reaching forward are one thing. So you can't reach forward without letting go. And you won't let go if you're not reaching forward. He was not distracted from what he was here for. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, look back there. Not that I've already attained this. So Paul's writing this at a point in his journey with the Lord where he's recognizing, I'm not there yet. I looked at that one day, if you're not there yet... (laughs) I sure am not there yet. But see, Paul's talking about a process. He's, he, he uses this, the example of a race. And, and he, he's saying, because the moment you think you've arrived, you stop pressing. The moment you think you've arrived, you become comfortable. And you become what Jesus calls a lukewarm Christian. In the book of Revelation the letter that Jesus dictated to the church at Laodicea, he called them lukewarm. He said, I'll spew you out. I'd rather you hot or cold. He'd rather us cold than lukewarm. Because if you're cold, you know you're cold. And you're not comfortable. If you're hot, you know you're hot. But if you're lukewarm, you don't know what you are. You can relate to anybody. You can get along with anybody. Everybody is comfortable with you because you don't tell them they're hot or cold. See, if you're cold and you're around hot Christians, you'll know it. Because you'll realize how cold you are. But if you're lukewarm, you'll look at hot Christians and say, well, that's nice. That's good for them. But you're comfortable where you are. All right. So Paul says, okay, not that I've already attained it, verse 12, or I'm already perfected, but I press on, look at what, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Paul's saying that when Christ laid hold of me, in his case it was on the road to Damascus, for each one of us in this room there's a different story of how and when he laid hold of you. But you're here this morning because He laid hold of you. You didn't lay hold of Him. 
He found you. You know, we usually say, well, I found Christ. No, he found you. And then you found out that he found you. He laid hold of you. Why? Why did he lay hold of you? Well, because he loves you. He doesn't want you to go to hell. Yeah, that's good. But that's not all. He laid hold of you because he has a call in your life. And we hear call, we automatically think of a ministry. No, it's a call. And for each of us it may be a little different, but collectively have a call together as a church. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. So the picture there is Christ laid hold of him, but Paul has a side to this. He's got to lay hold of what that purpose is and embrace it himself. There are many, many, many Christians that Christ has laid hold of and they never lay hold of why He laid hold of them. They never respond back to Him to find out why or care why He laid hold of them. They just live their life out to finish this course and get to heaven. And that's not why He laid hold of you. That's a part of it, but that's not all of why He laid hold of you. For that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Let's go back to verse 3. Let's go back over something. Now, what, what, are we, what, are, what are we to let go of? What kinds of things are we to leave behind? Well, we could talk about many number of things. We've already covered these. These are Paul's accomplishments for God, things that he trusted in for his standing before God. Paul calls it a confidence in the flesh, what he could do, what he had accomplished, what he had done. Now, we also put our confidence in the flesh and what we do. Anything we do before God that's based on what I've done. One of, part of how I begin my time with the Lord, when I begin to draw my heart to Him, is I very purposely speak this out. Lord, I do not come to You with any merit of my own. I used to say, I don't come to You with anything of value. And the Lord corrected me. He says, You are of value to me but you don't have any merit before me. There's nothing I bring to him about myself, my good intentions, my deeds, my faithfulness. None of those things give me a standing before him that can justify me before him. And this is in the root of our flesh. It's at the very core of our flesh. It started in the garden, Genesis 3, in the fall. This is what Satan appealed to in Adam and in Eve. He appealed to the self part of them. And he got them to listen to him. And chapter 3 is just so powerful. Was, look, the very first thing they did when God showed up on the scene and they recognized their nakedness, when they recognized their nakedness, they became aware of themselves. Chapter 2 ends with a verse that says they were both naked and were not ashamed. They were not aware of their nakedness. That's how so unself-aware they were. So aware of God they were that they did not realize they were naked. There was no shame in their nakedness. They didn't matter to them that they were naked. The moment they sinned, they realized their nakedness. And what's the first thing they did? They went and they took leaves off of trees and they sewed them together and made a covering. They made their own covering for their own nakedness. And that's what we've been doing ever since. We've been covering up our sin, covering up our failure, covering up our things in our heart by things we do outwardly. When God showed up on the scene, He says, that won't do. See, those fig leaves or whatever the leaves were, they were a self-righteousness, a man-made covering for their sin. What did God do? He says, what you made isn't going to cut it. So God sacrificed some animals, shed blood, and used the blood, the skin of those animals to cover them. God shed blood to cover their sin. God did that. Back when God establishes a, 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 a system of worship with, uh, with Moses, and he tells them that they, he, can, he can build an altar out of a rock. It's okay to build an altar. You can build your altar on a rock, or you can build your altar on the dirt. 
But if you build your altar on a rock, man cannot ta- have taken a chisel or a knife to it. In other words, and the reason for that is dirt God made. So you can build an altar to worship God on something God made. You can build an altar. He's talking then. I'm not talking about now. You can build an altar to worship me on a rock because I made the rock. But the moment you try to fashion that rock, now you put an input into what you're going to worship, basically your worship on. And you've profaned it. So our works, our efforts... Our good deeds profane us before God when we trust in them. That doesn't mean we're not to have good works, but our trust and our standing before God is not in how well, what a good person you are, a good Christian you are. Amen. That's one thing we have to let go behind. A second thing we have to let go and behind, let behind is our past failures, our past mistakes. Some of you drag them around from year to year to year. You're dragging around mistakes you made years ago. Sin you committed years ago. If, if you did that before you were a Christian, you're not the same person anymore. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. We're going to talk about that in a minute. If the mistakes you made were since you've been a Christian, they're under the blood. Jesus has a very simple way of dealing with your sin. Confess it. It's that simple. And He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all righteousness. You can't cleanse yourself from your unrighteousness. All you do is come and admit it and ask for forgiveness and He is faithful to cleanse you. So there's no reason to hold on to those mistakes and failures of the past. You have to let go of them. Satan will remind you of them. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. But it's under the blood. It's under the blood. Another thing that can hold you back from the past is your successes. That'll sneak up on us. Your successes can limit you. They can hold you back. We can make idols out of them. Oh, back in that day, God did this through me. I prophesied in church. I did this in church. I did this in my connect group. And we hold on to that. Those things are stale the next day. God moved powerfully Wednesday night through things that God prophesied through me for about 25 minutes. I didn't wake up the next morning and say, whoa! I let it go. I let it go that night. I'm not going to let my mind go back. Wow, wasn't that wonderful? I want to go hear what, he had, what I said, but I don't, it's nothing about me. So our successes, we have to let go of. And now I'm going to begin to meddle. We have to let go of our old identity. I see this in so many Christians and it grieves me. Our identity is not in Christ. But our identity is in our family. It's not that we shouldn't have a family and enjoy a family. Our identity is in our, is in our race. Our identity is in our age group. Our identity is in our politics. Our identity is in our job. Our identity is in everything but Christ. We have to let go. We have to let go. 2 Corinthians 5. Because it will keep us from responding to His call. See, the devil uses those things. He uses our background. He uses our, our family connections. He uses, and again, there's nothing wrong with family, but he uses our, when our identity is in those things, we end up in strife. Because I don't have the same ethnic background that some of you have. I don't have the same skin color some of you have. So if my identity is in that and your identity is in that, automatically we've created a gulf. Now I have time this morning to go through the scriptures, but they're all through Paul's writing. We're one body in Christ. One body in Christ. And individually members of it. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, or 17. If any man be in Christ, if any man be in Christ, are you in Christ? Okay, that was kind of weak. He is a new creation. That word new there 
means a new species of being, one that's never existed before. So when you came to Christ, your old man died, who you used to be died, and you became a new person in Christ, joined to Christ. Old things, old things have passed away. The devil wants us holding on to the old things because they divide us. They separate us from Christ. I'm not talking about going to heaven. They separate our identity from Christ. Most of you are struggling that are struggling because you don't recognize your identities in Christ. Bound by fear, bound by discouragement and depression. It's all based on your identity. I got, years ago, there was a, before I was a Christian, there was a teaching that came out. And it was a book called, I came, I'm okay, you're okay. And the thesis of the book was, if, if, if I just say I'm okay, and you say you're okay, then we'll feel better. The problem with that is I knew I wasn't okay, and I was pretty sure you weren't. It was based on this, well, if I think I'm okay and pretend I'm okay, I'll feel okay. But I'm not okay. And Christ comes in me, and now I'm okay, but I'm okay in Him. He's what makes me okay. All things have passed away, and all things have become new, and those new things are in Christ. That's who you are. That's who I am. And we cannot press on together if we hold on to those things. As our, it's not bad to do... I'm, it's not bad to have family reunions. That's not what I'm talking about. But what are you holding on to? What is your identity in? If someone at work comes up to you, who are you? What are you? What's your answer going to be? I'm a lawyer. I'm a this. That's my identity then. First thing out of your mouth is what your identity is in. What you turn to in a crisis is where your identity is. We can't press on. Because the upward call of Christ is only in Him. It's not all of us getting together and marching along together. What, the only thing we have in common is we're in Christ together. And if I'm in Christ and you're in Christ, then we're in each other. But that's the only thing we have in common. It's not because we go to Faith Christian Center. It's we are one in Christ. And He's the one. (laughs) And it may rub some people the wrong way, but it's (laughs) B-I-B-L-E. It's the Bible. And we're coming to a time, we're coming to a time when the things, there's a shaking coming, where the things that are not of God will be shaken. And the things that are are of God will stand. And those things that are based on identity in Christ will stand whatever comes, because Christ will make us stand. But those things that are founded on our flesh, those things that are founded on identity and works that are not in Christ, they will crumble like a $3 bill. Does they crumble? Anyway. God's calling us to simply be who He's made us to be. Paul talks about put off the old man and put on the new man that was created in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3. There are many others I could show you. Galatians, that's back here. Galatians, that's back here. Galatians 3.26 For you are all sons of God... Because God loves you. No, God does love you, but that's not how you became a son of God. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore there is neither Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female, for you are all 
one in Christ. And here's my concern. There's so much interest and attraction now to find out our ancestry. Paul talks about genealogies, being careful about genealogies. Why? Because they're a distraction to your identity in Christ. If you're on Ancestry.com, it's not a sin, but it's a temptation because they're trying to... There's a fascination we have about our past. And I don't believe that's just that's without accident. Satan wants to draw us back into our past, hold you back. He couldn't stop you from getting saved, so he's trying to get you to keep thinking about yourself and who you are in your flesh and not who you now are in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. We've got to go back. Let's go back to Philippians. We have to end quickly. So where are you in this? Where am I in this? Philippians 3, verse 15. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. I like that. Paul says, you can think what you want, but if you're mature, you're going to agree with me. (laughs) Have this mind. And if anything else you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree which we've already attained it, let us walk by the same rule or principle, and let us be of the same mind. He's going to go on, we're not going to look there yet, that our citizens in heaven, not here. Our citizenship is in heaven, not here. We're going to begin to talk about this upward call, what the call is. But to do it, you can't respond to the call unless you're willing to let go of what lies behind. And then you're willing to press towards the goal. Yes, sir. Let's pray. Father, We're at the beginning of a new year, and you are calling us. And we believe this morning that we've found, seen in your word, the pattern that the Apostle Paul learned to follow. He's a good example, Lord, because at the end of his course of his life, he said, I have fought the fight, I've run the race, I've finished my course. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He knew he'd finished his course. He knew because he knew what you laid hold of him to do. Father, our prayer today is that you would begin to awaken our hearts to hear that calling. Help us, Lord, as Paul just said in his word here, that as, as many as can see this and agree with this and understand this, May we be together of the same mind and those that not, may, may you show them, Lord. Help us to come together to a place of unity and the unity is that we're all responding to the same call. And this can only be done by the work of your Spirit. And in Him we trust. In Jesus' name, Amen.